Hello, and thank you for joining us today for our Q&A session. My name is Sherry Damlow, and I am Senior Editor here at Skipta. I'll be your moderator for this one-on-one -on -one discussion. In today's session, we'll be discussing treatment options for B-cell lymphoma in elderly patients or those with multiple comorbidities. I'm here with Dr. Donald Fleming, who is a board-certified oncologist specializing in internal medicine and hematology. He attended medical school and completed his internal medicine residency at the University of Louisville, and then went on to complete a fellowship in oncology hematology at the University of Kentucky. He's been practicing for more than 30 years and brings a wealth of knowledge and experience to the table. Dr. Fleming, welcome, and thank you for sharing your experience with us and treating patients with BCL. So I'd like to start off by asking you my first question about counseling patients. Which factors do you consider in your treatment decisions when a patient with BCL has multiple comorbidities? Well, based on the standard of care being uh, our CHOP regimen for several years, uh, a regimen that includes an anthracycline, we've always been concerned about cardiac function in individuals with diffuse large B-cell lymphoma or other more common lymphomas. Often the comorbidity can be result of the non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and in that case, we might be a little bit more lenient, but nevertheless, cardiac function is a major consideration. I'm especially focused on comorbidities when they are unrelated to the lymphoma, and then we might consider aggressive therapies such as autologous stem cell transplant or CAR-T is probably out of the question in these individuals. So to add to that, how do you counsel elderly patients who, okay, so are not appropriate, appropriate candidates for a hematopoietic stem cell transplantation? I review the options that are more suitable, such as anti-CD79, a drug in particular known as polituzumab, vedotin, plus chemotherapy such as bendamustine and rituximab, or anti-CD19 medications such as tasfastimab, uh, with his, which is often given with lenalidomide uh, to enhance its effectiveness. Uh, these are options that I discuss with these patients more so today than I did in the past when I used to discuss things such as rituximab, uh, gemcitabine and oxaliplatin type uh, regimen known as R-Gemox, uh, which is still a, a good option to use in these patients. But nevertheless, the more up-to-date options I feel are the polituzumab and the tesfatumab that uh, have very good tolerance in these individuals. And despite the choice, I have to admit to the patients in this situation that a sustained remission, in other words, a cure, is much less obtainable in their situation because of the lack of options such as autologous stem cell transplant and CAR-T therapy. So then to, to add on to that, and maybe you just answer this question, but what novel treatment options for BCL are available to elderly patients with comorbid comorbidities, especially when they're ineligible for clinical trials? Well, I mentioned some of the uh, options such as anti-CD79, uh, the anti-CD19. Also, there are some other uh, treatments available known as bispecifics. Uh, 
These today have been ones that target CD3 and CD20. Um, one in particular, glofitimab, and the other one, epcoritimab. These uh, are available. Uh, they each have different routes of administration and scheduling, but for the most part, there are some options that are now available for patients that might not be available for aggressive treatment. So when an older patient fails to respond to first-line therapy, what factors would you consider when determining if they are a candidate for second-line? You mentioned CAR T-cell therapy earlier um, or a hematic uh, HSCT or high-dose uh, chemotherapy. Well, I personally have performed stem cell transplants in non-Hodgkin's lymphoma patients in the past. Uh, in other words, in my earlier career, it involves pretty extreme scrutiny of end organ function, such as cardiopulmonary function. And there's other uh, issues that have to be dealt with as far as end organ functions, uh, renal function, et cetera. But it's more about the physiologic than chronologic age. Unfortunately, often these things correlate with each other. And as I said before, if the comorbidity coincides with the development of the lymphoma, I used, usually am a little bit more lenient in regards to what I will accept for a transplant or CAR-T in that situation. Otherwise, they wouldn't be considered I can appreciate that. And I think that's that's especially insightful and personalized. Um, so my next question that I'd like to pose for you is what is the approach or what is your approach to the use of novel bridging therapy to temporize or debulk disease in elderly patients with BCL? Well, basically the situations in where bridging or so-called debulking therapy is necessary would be in a situation where the next treatment is not what we would consider off the shelf. That would be things such as autologous stem cell transplant or in rare occasions, allogeneic stem cell transplant or the CAR-T therapy. And as I mentioned before, I normally would go with the treatment modalities I mentioned earlier in patients that wouldn't be eligible for those procedures, such as the anti-CD79 or anti-CD19. Uh, or even some of the older treatments such as uh, chemoimmunotherapy. So let's switch gears a little and talk about the real-world applicability of trial data, um, particularly for those novel no, those novel drugs. Um, ASHA's annual meeting took place a, about a month ago, and so I think sometimes we're a bit overwhelmed with all of the data that comes out this year. You know, that data, data of course, is really exciting, but it also makes me curious how clinicians translate that information for their patients. Advanced age and certain comorbidities are common exclusionary criteria for clinical trials. So how do you interpret study results for your patients who may not reflect that trial population? Are those results that we see, are those translatable to the real world setting? Well, this relates to the so-called real world data and it has much value 
in the communities throughout the country because often we don't have the same type of patient population that was included in these clinical trials. And therefore, we have to be honest with our patients that if they are frail, they may very well fail um, to have the same outcome as the individuals did in these trials because of their lack of tolerance. So that's a great segue to my next question, which is how can HCPs then advocate for patients with BCL whose advanced age and comorbidity, comorbidities make it difficult for them to enroll in those clinical trials? Well, all we can do at this point is encourage trial designs to include patients that have these comorbidities, and they are starting to consider them seriously in trials. Other than that, all we can do is basically use the treatments that we have available and dose adjust accordingly. But again, we have to tell these patients that we may not have the same outcome as you see in trials. And that makes sense. Be, be honest, be realistic. Dr. Fleming, thank you so much for taking time to connect with me on this topic. Uh, this conversation has been really insightful and eye-opening, particularly your point about physiologic versus chronologic age, and then differentiating between the co-occurring -occur, co comorbidities versus comorbidities kind of arising out of the lymphoma. I'm so appreciative of your time with me today. It's been, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. You're very welcome.